electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. Futures pretty steady after record closing highs. Big day for earnings. 47 S&P companies today alone. Boeing, Coke, GM, McDonald's, Harley, in addition to AMD, Alphabet, Twitter, Microsoft, and Robinhood from last night. Our roadmap begins with shares of Robinhood getting crushed. A slowdown in crypto trading, dragging on revenue and a warning that headwinds will persist into year end. Plus, Tesla is continuing that record run stock price. Goldman saying, in fact, it could climb another 10 percent thanks to that deal. With Hertz, we will discuss that. And we've got a big show this morning. Next two hours include interviews with the CEOs of Boeing, AMD, Glaxo, Coke, and C.H. Robinson. We'll start with Hood, though. Uh, bigger than expected loss. Revenue miss, although revenue was up 35. The share of crypto, Jim, goes from uh, 51% down to 19 As uh, B of A this morning suggests, maybe return to work is having an effect on people sticking around and trading crypto. Uh, It's going back and forth with DraftKings. It's return to work and gambling. There are too many people who are gambling, obviously, because Dogecoin was the coin that people, uh, that that Vlad mentioned, Vlad Tennant, the CEO. I was depressed by the call. I was depressed by the call because I had been hoping that younger people were going to come in, stick with it, buy long-term stocks. Uh, Vlad's doing a retirement, uh, you know, retirement portal, so to speak, but it's not done. Uh, now, I'm not saying that nothing's being done, that there's no trading. I am saying that it, if you read the conference call, you would think it's a fad. And, uh, and David, if it's a fad, uh, well, what can I say? They got a lot of people, 22 million, but they don't have a lot of money in their accounts. And this was a quarter where it was crypto or nothing. Right. Right. I mean, I guess the alternative alternative argument is, fad or not, they are making connections uh, and creating relationships, if you want to call it that, that will extend far beyond this moment in time. And that's where the value of the platform ultimately will be derived from. Right. And the faster they uh, get these Particularly other with this cohort. But in the terms wallet. of quarter to quarter, I mean, they're not making any money, obviously. No. Pay for order flow is still the key part of their revenue. Yeah. And who knows where that's going to be in the future. Uh, and it will be episodic, potentially, given interest in some of these asset classes that could wane. And we look at Morgan Stanley and Morgan Stanley's not episodic. Schwab is not episodic. Uh, there's a, a fickle notion. At one point in the call, I said, listen, we all know that the first quarter is the best for this business. I mean, I don't know. I worked at Goldman Sachs. I never once heard about seasonality. I never once had my my best quarter be my first quarter. And believe me, I say that because I was, wasn't the only one. And I, I don't know. Again, I was depressed by it because I really want to see younger people stick with it. Uh, but, you know, maybe they're in daily fantasy. <laughs> DFS, David, it's very good. I don't know if you ever do a lot. Your point about Schwab is good. Uh, yesterday, Morgan Stanley upped their target on Schwab from 97 to 115 yeah. because they are more bullish on the company's ability to capture Gens Y and Z. 
Yeah, both Morgan Stanley and Schwab are set up. Remember, Morgan Stanley bought E-Trade, David. I, yes. I, I've got it. When I look at this, what I think is there was a tremendous burst of excitement. And a lot of the excitement had to do with GameStop and AMC. Yes. And then the, the money shifted toward crypto, of which mostly it's Dogecoin. Well, I, look, which I'm... So you started know, as an actual joke. Right. Started as a joke. Um, you know, it's, I started as a joke. I mean, it really is kind of like you read the quarter and you said, well, at least there weren't huge outflows. But we know that there's a couple, a couple hundred dollars per account, according to the work that Gensler did, right. Jeremy Gensler did. So, I mean, is the revolution over? Is, there a re- is the Robin Hood revolution over? I think it's a, a, a hit the pause button. And there's a lot of, in, you know, there's a lot of a, a, a address of the tranches that are for sale. They're not huge. Right. But it's pause until we see people come back to traditional equities. Yeah. And they have the wallet. Uh, the wallet would help. And I wish they did have an IRA product. I mean, you know, they say, listen, we're developing it. Well, flick the switch, darn it. If I were PayPal, I'd just buy them. Meanwhile, we'll get to uh, all the actual big earnings. Uh, yes. But we got a lot of big interviews to do. But, yes, we do. I want to talk about Microsoft and Alphabet. Why? Just Those are small cap companies. <laughs> the scale and size of these companies, Carl, is just uh, unimaginable. Rick Reeder this morning said they look like countries. Yes. Unimaginable. Yes. I mean, when I keep going over these numbers, $65 billion revenue quarters, $22 billion earning quits. But how about the growth? are these numbers? Hey, Microsoft's growing. Like you know, You'll see these IPOs, yeah. and they'll say they have 40% growth. And then you, you have cloud 50% for Azure, $20 billion. No, these are countries, and they got AAA balance sheets. Yep. S&P's ready. It's incredible. Yeah. Meanwhile, Boeing's going to open up almost 2%. Let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got a special guest. Hey, Phil. Carl, thank you very much. On a day where Boeing misses on the top and the bottom line, the shares are moving higher pre-market. Let's bring in Dave Calhoun, CEO of Boeing. Uh, Dave, Third quarter, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. You knew it was going to be a challenging quarter. Do you feel like, okay, I can see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, whether it's with the 787 Dreamliner or a number of other issues? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely remain an optimist, especially with respect to next year. It's important we enter that year with a decent trajectory. I feel like we're on it. I think fourth quarter we'll get even closer to being on it. Um, So, yeah, I am an optimist. I'm feeling good about, about where we are and where the year is going next year. The Dreamliner still haven't begun deliveries, uh, and there's no expectation that that's going to happen anytime soon. But you are making progress there. What's your outlook for resuming 787 Dreamliners? Yeah, so it's uh, let me uh, be very, as clear as I can. We're following a very deliberate process. It's uh, the mirror image of the Max. Everyone remembers we had a whole year of frustrating investors with slow, slow research process, etc. But we dotted all the I's and we crossed all the T's and we started delivering maxes one at a time. We are going to do exactly the same thing with a 787. The good news is the proof points are that the max is out there. It is flying like crazy and it is as reliable as any airplane in any fleet in the world. So I just I feel very good about that process. We're going to follow the same deliberate process here. I can't predict delivery times. I can't do that. I have a counterparty with the FAA who's right in the middle of it, all of it with us. But we are going to stick to our knitting, and we are going to be deliberate. One other thing regarding the 77 Dreamliner. You take $183 million charge for abnormal production this quarter, and you're saying, look, we expect all together, by the time this is done, whether it's two quarters, three quarters, however long, it'll be about a billion dollars. Are you confident that you've got the cap there at a billion dollars? 
Well, we're confident that based on everything we know today that 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 is a uh, accurate number. Um, The way I think about the billion dollars is uh, an investment. What do we do with a billion dollars, which is basically an accounting change from a program cost to a period cost? It keeps all of our people warm. Everybody's there. While we're only producing two a month, it keeps everybody in place. We continue to learn. We get ready for what we believe will be a real good uptick in the market. Dave, Jim's got a question for you. Jim? Yes, Dave. Always good to see you. I want to go over something that's happening, I think, absolutely, in China. Uh, Goldman got its own uh, franchise, doesn't have to do a joint venture. Nike sales coming back. Apple, not even an issue, thinking that business could be very strong. Uh, Starbucks saying that things have gotten better. No, absolutely fantastic relations. Macau, themes look like that the Chinese are being less aggressive in trying to hurt the uh, U.S. casinos. The only miss, the missing piece of the puzzle is gigantic order from Boeing. I mean, how about a big order to Boeing? Well, because I, that would certainly fit yeah. the narrative of what's happening in China. You know, all I can do is uh, read what's on the ground with respect to our relationship with our customers in China, which has been very constructive, very good. Everybody's in getting uh, prepared, I think, for research and reentry of the MAX into China. Uh, the certification uh, regulator, the CAAC, constructive, uh, working hard on all the issues. Again, dotting I's, crossing T's to complete that effort. So I'm feeling very good about the work and the effort that's being applied both from our side of the house and our administration and China. And then, as you say, we don't need a big new agreement. We simply want to act under the agreements that exist today and begin to begin to deliver product. So I remain constructive and optimistic. Now, as being constructive and optimistic, we are very uh, clearly, at a, I think, at a tail end of the pandemic. People are flying like crazy. It's one of the things that I think has happened is, is that we feel free. We want to go everywhere in the world. Uh, when international travel resumes, do the international carriers and American carriers have enough planes to handle the traffic? Well, they do today. But I think by the time we get into the second half of next year, I think everyone is going to be working hard on those fleet plans. And trying and trying to uh, come to grips with what I think is going to be a big spike in demand. Um, again, uh, speculation on my part, but pretty well founded, and I believe that is what will happen. These borders, the protocols have just begun to open up. The United States being the sort of one of the later ones to the party uh, in November, but the order backlogs and the and the traffic backlogs uh, amongst the European airlines when that when that announcement was made. Uh, just immediately lifted. And so they are already planning for a pretty robust recovery. Dave, you've got the 737 MAX right now, 19 per month is the production schedule. You're planning to get to 31 per month by early 2022. How long until you think you're back to where you guys were before you had the two accidents and you had to shut down production, which I think was somewhere close to uh, 50, 55. You were up in in that range. Do you see that happening in a couple of years further out? Well, honestly, the big the wild card in this one isn't demand. So we've been fighting a demand, uh, you know, scenario for the last couple of years. I think as we enter the middle of next year, it's all about the supply chain. What can it cope with? Our customers are having to come to grips with supply chain issues, just servicing passengers, et cetera. We've seen some of that variation in, the, in even the best of the airlines. Um, so they're going to have to come to grips with that. Boeing is going to have to make sure its supply chain is finely tuned so that it can move up that ramp. So that's really what I think is going to be the throttle. Whether it's two, three, or four years, I'm not sure. I do think we get there. 
But I think it's all going to be based on the return of the supply chain. So much of what we talk about is the commercial side of the business. But the defense side is increasingly going to come under focus, especially as you start to see increased attention around the world to potential hotspots, whether it's what's happening with China and Taiwan, the Southeast Asia. Uh, What's your sense in terms of the next year, what you expect in terms of defense budgets? Yeah, so two major vectors going on here. Uh, You know, one is all the fiscal stimulus and all these programs uh, constraining the amount of money we can spend on defense. The other one is the threat itself. And as everybody knows, we've gone now from sort of the the, uh, terrorist threat to a significant uh, major actor threat. Um, It is shifting from North Atlantic uh, and and NATO uh, to uh, Asia uh, broadly. Um, There is a lot of significant work that has to go on in Department of Defense. I know they're up to it. But that threat wants to increase budgets in a significant way and, and increase the advanced technical work that has to go on to support that. So uh, I'm not sure what the outcome will be. I I don't see it declining, and I don't see it uh, getting much worse. I think when those two forces hit each other, I think the threats typically typically dictate the outcome. Jim? Yeah, uh, Dave, the news flow obviously has just been horrendous, and you pick up the papers, there's a new problem with 787, or someone's doing something wrong here or there, and uh, obviously we've got indictments of people and do you have any sense, when you're in the war room of Boeing, do you have any sense that someone can say, you know what, I think we're at the, at the tail end of, of, what, of what's going wrong, at least in terms of uh, the press? Yeah, I think so. I, I've always said I can't go out and merchandise a different story. It's not, that, that, that falls, uh, you know, on deaf ears. Um, but what we can do is just deliver Make sure our airplanes are operating reliably. Make sure the flying public has faith and confidence in everything that we do. That is the course we've been on, and I'm pretty proud of the work that our Boeing team has been doing on that front. So I think we're getting close. I don't, I don't think we're in the middle. I don't think we're at the beginning. I think we're getting close to that, quote, end. And what does that mean? What will it look like? It will mean a steady, stable pace of deliveries, not disappointing customers. Flying public has the ultimate faith in the safety of our airplanes, etc., I think we're getting close to it. I think the one outside uh, issue is the one you, you, you discussed earlier, China. We have to just make sure that the China market is open to the United States and open to Boeing. It is the difference. It is the difference in global leadership in aerospace and aviation. If, if it's not open to the United States and open to Boeing, Europe will fill the void. We have to be sure that that happens. And with regard to that, last time we talked, you said you're not to a point where you have to be thinking about moderating production schedules in the future, when do you hit that point? If China's not open, let's say six months or a year from now, do you have to then say, okay, we've got to moderate our production plans for the max? Yeah, I mean, it, without a doubt, if I got to the middle of the next year and said there's no China, then we, would, we wouldn't cut rates, but we would not increase rates at the pace that we would otherwise increase them. So I think that's the way to think about it. I think we have plenty of time. And as I, as I said earlier, I still am constructive and remain optimistic on that front. Dave, thank you very much. Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, joining us here at the company's headquarters in Chicago, Carl, on a day where, yes, the company missed on both the top and the bottom line. But you heard Dave saying he believes they're getting close to finally seeing that light at the end of the tunnel after what's been a rough year and a half. Guys, back to you. 
All right, Phil, great stuff as always. Uh, Phil LeBeau, busy morning uh, for Phil. Coming up after the break, we're going to speak exclusively with AMD CEO Lisa Su on their quarterly results. Meanwhile, futures look pretty good here. Again, coming off of record closes for Dow S&P. Uh, durables were a little bit better than expected, 10-year below 1.6. Oil's down a bit on that uh, stockpile surprise. We're back in a moment. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. We talk blowouts, we talk big growth, uh, we also talk about bullish fourth quarter forecasts, and that's exactly what we got from Lisa Su. In pretty much every single business line, a data center was incredible, gaming was fantastic. This whole notion of the cloud and what it means uh, is just right in the sweet spot of Lisa Su. Lisa, welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good morning, David and Carl. Great to be with you. Well, Lisa, you know, there are people who are saying, well, look, it's... Uh, it's ho-hum. This is anything but ho-hum. I mean, you're kind of in charge. And what I want to say is I want to look at another a part of the puzzle that I am concerned about. This deal was Xilinx. I liked it because the margins are 67, yours are 49. I thought it'd be closed by now. I'm wondering whether there are people who have left Xilinx while they're waiting for this, because Xilinx is, is the key to getting off the treadmill of Intel versus Lisa Sue and NVIDIA versus Lisa Sue. Well, you know, Jim, what I would start saying is, uh, you know, first of all, we had a, a very uh, strong third quarter, very um, excited about the results across our business, 54 um, percent year over year growth. Uh, we're in all the you know, high performance markets where there's tremendous demand. And, you know, we're very excited about the Xilinx acquisition. You know, we, we said uh, when we first announced it that um, it would take about, um, you know, at, uh, to, at, to the uh, end of this year to close. And, um, you know, that's what we're seeing. Everything is right on track. And the beauty of it is it's really putting together um, two great portfolios. So, you know, the AMD portfolio and high performance computing and then the Xilinx portfolio in adaptive computing and um, artificial intelligence together uh, will you know, come together next year. So, you know, very excited about, um, you know, the overall portfolio and roadmap. Lisa, there seems to be no end to the interest in gaming and no end to the uh, need to have cloud CapEx. I actually believe that one of the reasons why Google did not have a, a great quarter from cloud was they didn't even spend it on. So, I mean, when are these two going to run out? Are they just long term and you and, uh, yeah, let's say NVIDIA are the kings of this business? You know, the, the key really is, um, you know, when you're in tech is to, to really see out, you know, a few years and see where the growth markets are, uh, particularly secular growth. Uh, we see the data center overall and, you know, both cloud and enterprise as growth markets. Um, the cloud has been very strong for us. Um, it continues to be very strong. Uh, we're more heavily weighted there because, frankly, these largest, uh, you know, cloud partners 
um, want the best technology there is, and, and that's what we have with our uh, with our Zen roadmap. So it's it's very uh, very deep partnerships that we have. We're very excited about what we see in the future, too, Jim. You know, in this environment, um, I think we're seeing even uh, deeper partnerships uh, with our uh, major uh, cloud um, customers. And we're planning out not just what we're going to do, you know, this year or next year, but what we're going to do in, you know, 23, 24, 25. So it's really, you know, a long-term partnership um, in cloud and, and really secular growth that we see for the market and, um, you know, AMD, uh, you know, in that market. All right, there's another company that has often said that they're far ahead. They're really, really plowing ahead, and that is Intel. Uh, there are a lot of people who feel like w- what they can do now is cut price in order to take share. The, the more I study this, the more I realize there's nothing to cut price and take share for because they're not even in the growth markets anymore. They're just not producing. Do you see price wars with Intel? You know, we we really don't see that environment, uh, Jim. What we see is an environment where, um, you know, whether you're a business or enterprise or you're a cloud or even when you're you're a consumer in gaming, what you want is the best technology. And uh, there is um, a tremendous amount of differentiation in, you know, our technology roadmap. You know, we've built it. We've talked to you about it over the last few years. Uh, We have some really exciting technologies that are coming in 2022 around our our newest product portfolios. And we think that, you know, this is what it takes in tech. You you really have to be the best and uh, really talk about, you know, performance, uh, performance per watt. You know, we're always talking about energy efficiency. These are all the things that are most important uh, to uh, consumers and uh, businesses alike. Lisa, it's David. When you talk about growth markets, I come back to a conversation that we had yesterday on this set about the metaverse. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg seems to think towards the end of this decade that's going to be a huge potential business opportunity. And my friend to my right here, Mr. Kramer, talks a lot about NVIDIA potentially providing the chips to make that happen. How do you see it? And where would AMD's place, if any, be if the metaverse does turn out to be something quite significant? Yeah, David, that's a great question, and I might, you know, generalize it to, you know, the whole area of high-performance computing and heterogeneous computing. Look, we believe, you know, this, you know, this vision of the next five to ten years, whether you're talking about high-performance computing, artificial intelligence, machine learning, or the metaverse, you just need more performance, and actually, you need more uh, tailoring and customization of um, compute capability. So, you know, we're investing heavily in this thing called heterogeneous computing. It's the idea that, you know, you have the right uh, compute for the right workload. And, you know, that's across our entire portfolio. So, you know, CPUs, GPUs, and um, frankly, this is where Xilinx really uh, comes in nicely with um, FPGAs and um, adaptive computing. So together, we'll have all the components to enable that metaverse and much, much more. Uh, Speaking of components, um, I wonder, you talked a bit about uh, match set constraints on PCs. You're adding supply on game console chips. If, if we're talking shortages and everybody right now is obsessed with shortages, Lisa, as you know, where, where do you think it's most acute? What is the canary? Well, you know, I would say that um, this has been a year where having a strong supply chain is a really big advantage. And, um, you know, that's been the case uh, with us. Um, I'm really proud of what we've been able to do in our supply chain. You know, when we started this year, 
We were thinking that we were going to grow, you know, 37 percent year on year. You know, with our fourth quarter guide, we're now guiding to 65 percent year on year. And that comes with one very strong demand. So we're in the right markets with the right products. But that also comes with sort of a um, you know, deep set of partnerships on the supply chain side. So we've been able to um, unlock incremental supply as we've gone through the year. Um, it is an area where, um, you know, everybody is investing in capacity. We're investing in capacity. Um, it is um, you know, certainly an area where uh, we believe that we'll continue to differentiate ourselves. And uh, going into 2022, I think there's more capacity coming online. And it's just about getting, uh, you know, when we talk about match sets, it's just making sure that, you know, each of these systems has, you know, thousands of components and just making sure that you have all of the various pieces. But um, I'm really happy with how we've um, you know, managed through this uh, you know, supply chain um, uh, you know, situation. And I think that this is, again, a differentiator for us in our, in our growth objectives. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge. I wonder, do you see capacity getting to a point where we might see pricing flatten out or even drop uh, in the middle of next year as some hope? Well, I, I think that as we go into 2022, um, you know, our current view is that, um, you know, the first half is still going to be relatively tight um, in terms of supply. And we might see, um, you know, some loosening of that as we get into the second half. Um, I think this is all about the long term, though, and it's not necessarily what happens in quarterly dynamics. Uh, it's all about having, you know, the right products, um, the right supply chain partnerships. And again, you know, we're looking at, you know, a multi-year trajectory for growth. And so uh, no matter what happens in the market, you know, we need to ensure that, you know, we have the capacity and the capability to do that. And that's why the investments today are so important. And the strength of our business really allows us to make those investments across the entire supply chain. Lisa, you dropped a bomb last time on the conference call really worried people. You said that PC growth would be flattish. Arguably, yes, but suddenly people have to hear that. They don't like it. But I was, doing, I was thinking about this rumor uh, last month about uh, you doing a joint venture with Taiwan's MediaTek, which would allow you to do 5G laptops. So while PCs may be flattish, if you do that joint venture, you've got the high-end PC, which would be incredible growth. Is there any room, is that rumor have any truth to it? Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about the PC market, Jim, because I think it's an interesting market. Um, you know, we have made tremendous progress in this PC market. I mean, we've grown, uh, we're growing, you know, strong double digits uh, year on year. When you think about the market itself, you know, we're talking about 350 million units this year, which is fantastic if you think about where the market was just two years ago in 2019. So the PC market is a very good market. Now, that being the case, you know, there are some pluses and minuses that go in. And I think um, as we look forward, even in a, you know, let's call it a flattish market, you know, it could be up, it could be down, but let's just, you know, plan it as flattish. We believe AMD is a, gain, a share gainer in that uh, market because uh, we're great in gaming notebooks. Uh, we're growing in commercial notebooks. Um, there's um, a, a ton of you know, high-end pre- uh, premium uh, notebooks as well. And so within that, you know, I think our portfolio continues to get stronger. And um, you know, that's what we're focused on. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming to the show. Uh, congratulations on still one more. Uh, you just keep lapping great quarter after great quarter after great quarter. And uh, we look forward to the Xilinx deal closing. That's what we need next. Great to see you. Fantastic. Thanks. Good to see you guys. Uh, absolutely. That was good stuff. Uh, speaking of PCs, uh, Microsoft's quarter is worth considering. PCs up 12, uh, Azure up 50. Uh, Jim, 17 quarters of at least 10% sales growth and acceleration the last right. five quarters. Now, I-, I looked at that company. We see a lot of these small cap companies come public. Thank you. They don't have the growth that Microsoft has. 
uh, the stability. I am just look. That was the, the blowout. If you had to do a narrative of what happened last night, it is. And who was the star? Who was the lead character? And who gets the Oscar or Emmy? It is Microsoft. Best quarter of the quarter so far. Best quarter of the year. Best quarter of the year. No, I, look, I'm looking at this thing and it's like ridiculous. I mean, this is this is a giant. Most is it? It's giant. It, it, Listen, it, cloud up 36 percent. Over twenty billion in revenues for the quarter. Twenty billion in a quarter. Five point three billion overall in revenues, up twenty percent in constant currency from Microsoft. Uh, I mean, it didn't come anywhere near to Alphabet's revenue number, which I'm at sixty-five billion is a number that it's hard to even understand right. how big right. that is. But. Uh, Microsoft's, I mean, and it's deflationary is what Nadella says. Did you love yeah, that? Yeah, that was, I thought that was interesting that was, commentary. Wow. Right at the top of the call, right? Yeah, right at the top. That's why I was saying in my cloud memo that I sent out. It's almost cloud, like he was responding to, to Dorsey. Jay, to, and to Jay Powell. <laughs> and to Jay I mean, you know, I, like I think that Jay Powell is able to say, look, I talked to Sadia Nadella, and he talks about the overall productivity situation. So listen, you hedge, rich hedge fund billionaires who are going to start paying tax on things that you haven't sold, just like the working man. I love that. Uh, we we got the edge. We got the edge because Sadia explained the world to us. It was an amazing moment on the call. This guy's got such gravitas. He's the premier. Can't argue but with These guys it. are all premiers, right? Who's Much the premier more. of uh, Google? Enter. Who's Sundar, yeah. Yeah, right? Sundar? Yeah. And the premier of Apple is, uh, yeah, is Tim Cook. Yes. Does, now, does, like, when you get down there, Intel does not have a premier. <laughs> Let's get the opening bell here and the CNBC real-time exchange. And the big board data management software provider Informatica celebrating an IPO. We'll talk to the CEO on TechSec today. At the NASDAQ, it is Rent the Runway also celebrating its IPO. Upsize deal, 17 million shares of 21. Top of the range. Uh, Jennifer Hyman this morning. There she is talking about the first IPO with a female CEO, CFO, and COO ever. Well, congratulations to them. Uh, uh, a business, that, by the way, that's, that changed the way people dress, particularly people who are uh, trying to... It's great, it's great equalizer, David. Uh, you may not be able to afford one of the... Uh, a beautiful gal, not that that would necessarily be your thing, but, you know, what happens is you can... If you're a younger person, afford the yeah. same clothes that a rich person can. It's a great equalizer. Yep. And when I, every time I spoke with her, I always said, you know what? You've made it so that people who are not wealthy look wealthy. And that does matter in the job front. Without a doubt, you can, you can rent it, which is what they do. It's going on in my house right now, too, actually. Really? Yeah, they got, they got stuff coming in every day. Well, people are going back to work. I think yeah. uh, Castle, the office swipe. Tracking uh, barometer now with almost 40 percent, uh, up seven straight weeks in terms of office office ha- attendance. But if you're a CEO in this country uh, and you're in a competitive marketplace for an engineer, for white collar guy, I mean, you cannot say and you're Monday through Friday. No way, no way. You that's, can't. That's over and done with. You, I mean, right? I, I had this conversation endlessly with as many people who but run it, organizations. We, we have to stay one Three days a week, I think, is but, kind of the new de facto five. But this is the most period. important. Flexibility will be key. You lose people if you don't offer flexibility. Absolutely. You want people in the office. It's a grand experiment. We may not know it goes for a couple of years. Three days a week. Remember I, when three-day weekends were a big deal? Right. Well, I, now France. 
Great. Yeah. Now, look, when you speak to a lot of CEOs, they say, yo, but wait a second. The gross margins are expanding. We're not yeah. doing a lot of travel. The I'm, productivity's up. But I'm starting to hear more of them say, I, I, there's things I can't measure and I don't know for losing. Innovation. I just don't know. I, I can't figure it out at this point, but I'm worried. They do feel as though three days a week will be enough to sort of restore some semblance of normalcy and therefore innovation or whatever else is more difficult to measure than simple productivity uh, will be restored. But we don't know. It's a grand experiment in how we work. But this is and it's the, happening. There's no maybe, doubt. I mean, maybe this is as the I year. keep saying, we're the only people showing up on Fridays. No, that's true. Period. I like, I like and working Fridays. I'd work Saturday if they allowed me. I hear, here's the way in I look at it. the suit and tie, too. Always, yeah. always, and, and it's constantly brioni, except for I mix in azania. Sometimes you change it for gardening. I know you go a little less. I, I went into my garden twice this year uh, with my wingtips and, and a suit, and I picked some tomatoes. You know, Carl, maybe this is the year we can be grandiose, but it's not the great resignation year. Maybe this is the year that the workers took control. I mean, if you're interviewing, say, with uh, Kindrel, the new uh, spinoff of IBM, and you say, look, I want to stay, but I'm only going to work three days a week. They can't say to you, are you out of your mind? The power has shifted to the worker, whether it be the minimum wage, which means nothing because you're paying much more than the minimum wage. The worker, which is something J. Powell wants, the worker's got more, the worker has more well, power the, than I've ever the, seen. The labor differential on the conference board data yesterday, meaning, you know, hard to get versus plentiful on jobs, is the best, best job market in, since 2000, at least. If I were a young person going for a job, yep. I would put my particulars right out there. Now, look, I'm, world, I'm no, willing to work uh, three days a week, but I get to pick which three, okay? Uh, if I want to travel, I'll let you know. And I'm done at that, six because, you know what, that's cocktail hour. That is, that is what's happening right now. There seems to be a different view of work amongst certain no, but, uh, cohorts and, and certainly but, white collar and the younger generation. Right but, okay, so let me ask you. What? When did the power? So many earnings we got to get to. But go when ahead. did the power shift? Why can't you, as CEO, say to me, it, "Get out of my face, clown"? Yeah, it shifted over this last year. There's right. no doubt. There is no doubt. Even those CEOs to, who were talking five days a week, and we know who they were, have backed off. Even James, they have even backed James off. Gorman? Gorman, Diamond. I was counting on Gorman. Solomon. They backed off. Is the army five days? They had to. How many days a week is the Army? Because people weren't showing up. And then they were like, well, now well, I look Why don't we hit the bigger companies while you right. just go on Actually, and on? Actually, I go on and on? Uh, well, All right. I got Alphabet up, and I have Twitter down a lot. I think that's interesting. Which is so weird. Yeah, and I want to get to both. Alphabet, let's start there, because, of course, it was a strong quarter, although many say more or less in line with what had been expectations. Again, the simple size and scale of these organizations is almost hard to comprehend, certainly for somebody who remembers them when they were far smaller and or when, right. you know, when Citigroup reported a $5 billion number, that was a big deal. When ExxonMobil had a $10 billion oh. number, that was a huge deal. 65, uh, that was earning 65 billion revenues, 21 billion in operating income. Even you go down, ad revenue's up 44%. Right. They've obviously been a beneficiary to a certain extent of the changes in iOS that we've talked about, which certainly impacted Snap and did have an impact on Facebook. Didn't seem to have as much of an impact on Twitter, uh, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but YouTube, I just, guys, YouTube's revenues were $7.2 billion. Uh, Netflix's yeah. revenues And people were complaining. Do you see people complaining about Netflix's that? Netflix's revenues were $7.5 billion. They're basically online for having the same revenue total. Netflix but, trades at 10 times revenues. That would put YouTube's value, if it was a public company, let's call it at roughly $300 billion. 
this quarter, which was, which was greeted with a 2.5% decline, I mean, I've got it. Can I just announce that if anybody traded that down two and a half percent, shame on you. The conference call, just because, remember, Thomas Curian delivered uh, $4.9 billion in cloud. People were looking 5.1. If they spend more money, they probably go to seven. I, I just cannot believe. People have to understand, this company literally has more business than it can handle. More business. And by the way, small and medium-sized business using search is, yeah. without a doubt, the single best way to get customers. It's a, it, even better than Instagram. Uh, that's why ad revenue was the best in 14 years? It's incredible. Incredible. Now, I have to tell you, when Zuckerberg comes out tomorrow and does the metaverse, I think you're going to say, well, wait a second. I need a store in the metaverse. I can try on clothes. I can then show my, my spouse. He's doing another metaverse? What's he doing tomorrow? Oh, my God. It's going to blow you away. Really? Yeah. It'll blow you away. What's he doing? Big big demo? or Yeah, what's going I, on? I think, I think like what I expect to see is him inside the metaverse. Ah. Okay. I'm going to tell you. I, I Will think he ever this, come out of the metaverse? <laughs> Stop it. I think. I think. Wait, Congress? Word, no, I'm in the metaverse. Wait, no, I, the I, word I that I metaverse. think it's going to be like, I swear, yeah. is teleporting. Teleporting. Like Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, like Star Trek. Like when they went back in 1850. Remember that one? I remember yeah. a lot of them. No, I'm not kidding, okay? I'm not kidding. You teleport, you go to a schoolroom. You, you teleport, you go to the Grand Canyon. Teleport, you watch the Gladiators. Teleport, uh, you try on stuff at the mall. Teleport, you are in Grand Theft Auto. That's my prediction. He better deliver that, but he better deliver safety first. <laughs> yeah, safety yes. first, always. Right, because it doesn't take a vacation. Um, Jim, McDonald's is a, a lot of interesting nuggets in McDonald's. Uh, nuggets. Global comps up almost 13, U.S. up almost 10. Uh, they're taking 6% pricing. Um, franchisees record cash flow. It's uh, one of the best performing components today on the Dow. I, I was going back and forth with my friend Stephanie Link. McDonald's, Coca-Cola, what do they have? Scale. They actually have been able to raise price. They can, they're kings in their own realm. I mean, we would be, David, in the old days, we would told me in 1998, we'd be saying, hold, these companies are really bigger than Ford. But what a quarter from McDonald's. Scales, uh, I mean, listen, you hear it, particularly these days with supply chain issues, and I'm not talking specific to this industry, but scale matters so much. Big box stores. Lowe's and Home Depot are going to do much better in this environment than some of their smaller competitors, one would imagine. Costco is a Navy. Because they can you know demand. They Costco get is what a Navy. Need. Yeah. They have their own Navy. Well, it's good. If you're a country, you need a Navy. You need a Navy. Uh, hey, hedge fund once had a Navy. We talk about scale, and then we come back to the, just the size of these numbers from the likes of Alphabet and or Microsoft, or when we hear from Apple as well. By the uh, way, the, the, move, the move in Home Depot lows last couple of weeks is, is Big, really right? something. I mean, HD's closing in on 400. Well, uh, Pulte Home reported a good number last night. Yeah. And um, people were saying that there's going to be, uh, I've been saying that maybe housing can cool, but it's very hard to get a mortgage just because why? Because they're so busy writing mortgages. But yes, Home Depot has been terrific. Uh, and it's weird because this is not the season for Home Depot. It shouldn't be no. right now. A um, couple of things I want to get to. Got? Solar stocks, I think we should mention them quickly. Yes. And oh, phase. I got to get my roof done. And phase had a very strong quarter, and that's boosted the entire group. But Remember it shouldn't. We talked often it about shouldn't. energy overall transition, but also shortages. Look at Enphase. Uh, that's on numbers, this right? Is for a Record quarter. revenue, $51 million. This is um, the leading supplier of micro-inverter-based solar and battery systems. Uh, and uh, the gap gross margin was 39.9%, non-gap gross margin 40.8%. 
you get the picture. Solar is um, is more competitive. Solar solar is just cheap. That's mean. And, that's and you can up, store that it. That is brought up. The, look at the whole group here. I mean, but listen, it shouldn't. There's others are oh. pretenders. Well, first of all, there is a belief that there's a great deal of growth potential here. We know where we're going, Jim. We do know. Well, yeah. It's a, just a matter of what you mean, like being the first there. man in the sun, like Richard oh, Pryor. No. <laughs> um, and finally, I, 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 why is Twitter down over seven percent? Coming back to that name, That's it looked as though it was going to yeah. look like yeah. it was going to actually start potentially I, 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 up. I, I, Ned Siegel must be wanting to slit his throat after coming on. The stock was stock was up before he talked. Yeah. Now let's just say I, I thought that Twitter had a lot of good things to say about uh, direct response uh, and, and what they're going to do with small and medium sized business. Uh, the fact that it really wasn't impacted by the Apple iOS nearly as much. By the way, who, can you imagine YouTube was impacted and it didn't even matter? YouTube impacted by the Apple but, change, yeah. and it didn't, right. I mean, right. the growth I mean, rate was still astoundingly large. I mean, look, Twitter's complex because they do not have, in the vast scheme of things, they're not up there with the Titans. Remember the Titans? Yes, I know it was a... That was a good one. Yeah. Coach Boone? Yep, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Coke CEO James Quincy. Uh, that stock at more than a one-month high today as they top estimates. Uh, first, though, it's time for the bond report. Take a look at how treasuries are faring. You did have the 210 spread, the lowest since middle of September, as markets are now pricing in about a 70% chance of a June hike. Uh, but uh, the long-term inflationary outlook continues to be not quite as dramatic. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. GlaxoSmithKline has been under pressure from uh, people saying total share return not that good. It's been the lowest of the major drug, co- drug companies I follow. We know, David, that there's been uh, also a safe rattling from Elliott yep. Partners, and that's, again, because of total share return. Now, it, this quarter they announced today I thought was good. Stocks aren't really, really flying at all. But I spoke exclusively with CEO Emma Wamsley last hour, and I want to give you part of what she told me. Go ahead. Obviously, we're delighted with the quarter, which is really start of the ongoing proof of the hard work of our ambitious transformation program over the last uh, four years is working. We're firing on all cylinders, as you say, double digit growth in pharma and vaccines, 24 percent growth in our new and specialty medicines, which is proof that that pipeline is bearing fruit and a real acceleration of consumer health care growth, too. So we've upgraded our guidance for this year making a lot of progress in strengthening R&D in our pipeline, looking forward to lots of key readouts uh, over the year ahead and really setting up for a step change in growth from next year for GSK and then critically very much on track for the demerger of a world-class consumer healthcare business next summer. You um, obviously have a lot of people in it for the dividend. And uh, there are many people concerned that perhaps after the demerger, that that hefty dividend will not be there for them. I take it from the things that I'm hearing this morning, I should not be as concerned. 
Well, actually, Jim, you uh, may have seen in our capital markets update uh, in the summer, we were explicitly, extremely clear around what the distribution for GSK would be uh, both this year and uh, in 22 uh, and 23, actually, uh, because 22 we expect to be a hybrid year. And we've been public about the dividend distributions um, uh, for uh, expected range for consumer, too. So I think we've removed any ambiguity on that. What's really important is we're looking forward to a future for new GSK from 2022, which is all about delivering a step change in growth. We've committed over the five-year outlook to more than 5% top line, more than 10% uh, uh, bottom line, and and all of that um, uh, really starting uh, in 2022. So it's been great to have this marker of this quarter to start to show uh, the momentum coming through. Now, earlier you mentioned uh, vaccines. I know that uh, the vaccine for COVID has not been what you're doing, but you do have a, uh, a giant uh, Shingrix franchise that I, I believe yeah. people, I, I feel it's been undermarketed. Uh, is there any way that that can accelerate? Well, first of all, we did uh, sell more than 500 million pounds of Shingrix this quarter. Clearly, in 2021, uh, that business has been hit by particularly the Delta variant. And as COVID mass vaccinations rightly have been prioritized, but those are definitely sales that are deferred, not lost. We're very much uh, on the recovery track that when we look at there, when we look at uh, the momentum coming through. And by the way, uh, we've also been able to upgrade Uh, our guidance overall, despite this uh, short-term hit to Shingrix. And really importantly, exactly as you say, Jim, you know, shingles hits one in three of us. It is an extremely painful and debilitating disease. We expect strong double-digit growth for this franchise in 2022, potentially to deliver annual record uh, sales, much more global geographic expansion because we are unconstrained in supply and very confident that we'll double Shingrix revenues by 2026. Now, I am very excited about what you're working on, uh, monoclonal antibody for COVID. Now, yeah. Merck already has something out there. Uh, is yours with a 79% reduction in hospitalizations uh, comparable to what Merck has got? Well, look, we're delighted to be making a a significant uh, contribution uh, to COVID solutions with this antibody treatment, Zavudi. And, you know, we upgraded uh, our guidance, uh, our foundational guidance today, but also announced that we now expect on top of that another 7 to 9 uh, percent EPS uh, from these COVID solutions. Zavudi is uh, 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 shown to reduce hospitalization and death by 79 percent. And although we've had all these triumphs in vaccine uh, science and technology, people are still being infected. So uh, this definitely uh, matters. It has a contribution to make. It is shown uh, to have um, to be able to maintain this activity against circulating variants of concern like Delta. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really uh, delighted to be able to have this impact um, uh, for, you know, what is an ongoing situation around the world. All right. So one last question. You've got this terrific uh, franchise in cancer, uh, Tesaro, now starting to pay off, it appears. And you also yeah. have this work with 23andMe. I had 23andMe on uh, Mad Money. Uh, it's a treasure trove. Uh, can you yeah. uh, marry those two to be able to do some what, targeted or predictive uh, uh, work, particularly, by the way, on breast cancer, which is just ravaging around, around the world, particularly in America? Uh, how are the two going to play out, 23andMe and your cancer franchise? Well, um, two distinct questions, but they can be linked. I think, um, you know, 
First of all, we are in a golden age of uh, biology uh, and technology, and uh, the predictive power of genetics, functional genomics, uh, added with the uh, technology power of AI and machine learning, should allow us to get much, much more productive uh, as a sector, frankly, and GSK is really seeking to lead the way here in terms of the success rate uh, of our medicines and drugs. Um, uh, you know, 90% of things fail. Uh, being much more predictive on the quality of the targets that we uh, identify for uh, new medicines is what we can bring with all our 23andMe work. And we're delighted. Uh, we've just uh, recently, you know, identified and putting into the clinic one of the first assets from that partnership. And, and I've seen a, 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 an aggressive multiplication of the number of targets uh, uh, that we can bring forward for our future pipeline. So it's pretty foundational uh, to our strategy around genetics. Here's something, Carl. The stock is exactly where it was when Elliott, the aggressive hedge fund, said we need more, better. Maybe the company should sell itself. Maybe some big transactions occur. But maybe need some changes. And I, even though I thought uh, Emma told a very good story, I don't know. I mean, if you're a big hedge fund and you take a position and the stock did not go up on this, I'm sure they're going to say it's not enough. I love that point about shingles, though. Uh, what a debilitating uh, malady that it, is. So many people I, didn't. I haven't gotten a shot yet. I haven't gotten it yet. I haven't gotten it yet. Okay, I'm going to take you right after this. Just, I mean, I honestly. Hear I hear it knocks you out for a day or two. Oh, I, I came back stronger than ever. Uh, we will get stopped trading with Jim in just a moment. Dow's down 35. The biggest risk I think we have is uh, his health. Um, he works, you know, incredibly hard. Um, hopefully he stays healthy for a really long time. He's got big plans. He said he wants to die on Mars. Not landing on Mars, but, you know, li after living there. But... Uh, I think that uh, he's healthy and working hard and brilliant guy and inspiring. On that note, it's time awesome. for Jim and Stop Trading. Well, look, I, there was a moment uh, in the interview where he just says, basically, who else is doing well in EV? Now, GM is going to tell you next year's the big year. Farley's going to tell you Ford next year's the big year. If it's a big year for everybody, then maybe Tesla finally has competition. But Ron Barron did say, give me a break. Uh, Ron Barron uh, knows of what he speaks. Listen, yes, an investment, $380 million original investment made, what, eight, nine years ago. Profits already of over $5.4 He has sold a bit along the way, right. which you have to as a fiduciary. But they still own millions. And, uh, I mean, one of the great investments of all time yes. Mr. Barron has made there. I think it's very interesting that he talks about Musk's health as being the biggest I, risk. I, I thought that was incredible. Again, a country. As long as he remains president of Tesla, then they are going to be a major power in the U.N. Security Council. I saw a great stat this morning that uh, Musk has made more money on paper than Buffett has made in 91 years, just this year. Wow. Wow. Really? Well, he had a better year. Uh, this is, look, this is a phenomenon. Do you know that yesterday the market turned down when Tesla turned down? I mean, this has become the ultimate market barometer. I actually was hoping that Vlad Tana would say, look, here, the stocks people are buying are Tana. They're buying some shares in Tesla. They're buying some shares in Microsoft, buying some shares in Alphabet. No, they're buying Dogecoin, which is the probably the worst thing that Musk has ever done, if there's anything he's ever done wrong. be interesting if that tax goes, the Ron Wyden plan on tax, on taxing unrealized capital gains forces him to potentially sell. Also, I, I do wonder how much he's got already 
Le- in other words, tied up bank right. loans against stock. But David, do you really? Because it is a volatile stock, although it seems only to go don't, one way. Aren't they time. punishing the billionaires? Yeah, it's terrible. It's <laughs> punishing the billionaires. Wrong. It's not fair. You get no. to, you get to be a multiple billionaire. You should be left. You should be alone. able to do whatever you want, right? Yeah. What go the to heck? Mars. You have your own army. Why do you have your own army? Go to Mars. See what the rule of law is Mars. like on Mars. Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah. Phasers Troop- on stun. I hear Jupiter's kind of nice this time of year. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> Jim, what's what's on tonight? All right, I got Prologis. Now this is an Amazon play. I mean, look, warehouses. I can't believe how important they are. Thermo Fisher, another blowout. Buy it up twelve. It's ridiculous. It's going to be up twenty five. And then PPG, a real company. In real world, which sells paint coatings to cars, to real, to real planes, and it's not software. No, one of the earliest indications of the mess we're kind of yeah. in right look now. At, look yeah. at the, the housing stocks. Service. Look at everything. Look at everything. Uh, good hour, Jim. We packed really? as much as we could. Yep. <sighs> we didn't get the visa. I know. Or Spotify. Oh, or great Hog. advertising revenue. Yep. We'll see you tonight. Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.